0: Welcome to the PEDS NP Pearls of Pediatric Evidence-Based Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Becky Carson, Pediatric Nurse Practitioner and Assistant Professor at Catholic University of America. And I'd like to offer a special welcome to the first episode of a new series on health equity in pediatrics, generously sponsored by the Dr. Rashida Monroe Health Equity Grant, funded by the North Carolina Chapter of the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners. The purpose of this series is to create allies by bringing awareness to the majority of pediatric nurse practitioners who, like me, are white, cisgendered females, caring for children from diverse communities that we don't necessarily represent in our identities and experiences. After we understand issues experienced by children and adolescents who are vulnerable to inequities, we'll discuss best practices to create safe spaces to provide compassionate, Equitable care. The good news in these best practices is that you don't have to wait for society, policymakers, and nonprofit organizations to fix the gargantuan problem of health equity. Because let's face it, that's going to take a long time, a lot of work, and billions of dollars. These best practices are evidence based, can be achieved by an individual, and will actually make a difference at the point of care delivery meaning that you can implement them today at the bedside to help patients experience better care. All it takes is the understanding of their importance and readiness to incorporate them into your practice habits. But it doesn't stop there. I need your help. You see, we know a lot about the dissemination of knowledge using podcasts from several decades of research in nursing and medical education, but we don't know a lot about how they impact your practice either in a tangible front lines bedside kind of way, or even to just get you mentally ready to change your practice when the opportunity arises. And that matters with regard to health equity, because if we're going to make progress in the uphill battle against eliminating disparities, we need to be on the same page and know whether what we're doing actually works. So as part of the grant, I'm asking listeners to complete a short, anonymous survey for every episode they listen to, in order to better understand the impact of listening to a podcast on health equity. Thanks in advance for completing our survey for this and every episode in the series, because the data you provide will help us understand the educational impact of podcasts. What's in it for you? At the end of each anonymous survey, you'll be given a link to my website's health equity page, where you can enter your email to enter a raffle to win a $15 Amazon gift card. If you listen to multiple episodes, you're welcome to submit your email multiple times. There will be one prize for each episode, and winners will be chosen at random and notified via email one week after the release of the episode. The prizes in this raffle are supported by the Rashida Monroe Health Equity Grant. I'll mention the anonymous survey again at the conclusion of this episode. And without further ado, let's talk about health equity and kids. You've probably heard a lot about health equity and health disparities with increasing frequency over the last few years, especially since the pandemic put a hyper-focus on communities that were experiencing disparities. Health equity and health disparities are big societal concepts that relate back to social injustice with roots in systemic and structural racism. Health disparities result from intentional policies and structural efforts to discriminate against certain groups. And through implicit bias, these injustices convince society into thinking that the people affected are somehow to blame for their circumstances. Think of it like, oh, they just need to pick themselves up by their bootstraps, get a job, work harder. And that simply isn't the reality for the people who are subjected to systemic discrimination. And it's easy for us to zone out when health equity gets mentioned because the issues feel big, intangible, and pervasive. It's just too big for one person to impact because it's driven by culture, health policy. <laughs> no one person can fix that. It's a public health crisis on the grandest scale that will take decades to fix, politicians to support, nonprofits to organize, and billions of dollars to fund. You're right about that, but you're wrong if you think that your individual role doesn't matter. You're also wrong if you think you don't have room for improvement in how you address health inequity in a one-on-one, patient-provider-individual level. And that's what this series will be about, the ways that you can and should make changes to your thinking and practice, starting now, today, and opening up the lens for a broader view of your role to impact the lived reality of your patients, despite their circumstances. Let's start with the basics of health equity, then we'll talk about some easy best practices that you can adopt to make a difference to children from groups that are often marginalized. Then as we continue the series, we'll explore individual communities and their experiences in the health equity conversation. What is health equity? One definition comes from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which tells us that, quote, health equity means that everyone has a fair and just opportunity to be as healthy as possible, end quote. It's health equity, not equality. Because let's face it, we are not all equal when it comes to health care. Some people got a great big head start with roller skates on the journey to health, while others have heavy baggage to carry in flimsy plastic flip-flops. Because power is unequally distributed throughout our society, Health equity is about fairness and justice, not being the same. It's inherently easier for some to have health, while incredibly difficult for others to access it. So how do you address health from an equitable standpoint? You remove the obstacles on that journey to health, like a lack of access to quality education, good jobs with fair wages, affordable housing, and access to health care. Those obstacles to health are often centered around societal constructs of discrimination that involve race, gender, sexual identity, religion, socioeconomic status, disability, or other circumstances. When we're talking about health equity, it's often population-based, where we consider specific groups and their ability to access good health. These are called social determinants of health, and they're things like income, education, the safety of your neighborhood social inclusion, and access to health care. Health disparities are the differences that keep marginalized groups from accessing their best health and therefore affect health outcomes. These are often impacted by social determinants of health and can lead to groups being elbowed to the edges of health and wellness. Groups like racial and ethnic minorities, LGBTQIA communities, people living with mental health conditions, and people with weight differences, among others. So in order to eliminate health disparities and create health equity, we need to compare disadvantaged groups to the ones on roller skates, rather than against the general population. And that's the big picture, wide-angle lens of health equity. If you're having a hard time wrapping your head around how these concepts should enter your day-to-day practice, it's time for us to talk about best practice number one. Approach every patient with a lens of health equity. What is a lens of health equity? Well, it's a way of reminding you to approach your patients ready to navigate the obstacles of social determinants of health before they lead to health disparities. If you forget to consider health equity, then you could be blind, unconsciously biased against them. By first understanding the systemic discrimination that affects certain groups, you can better see the obstacles and steer your patient around those impediments to their best health. Then incorporate health equity concepts into your day to day practice. Because discrimination is not necessarily conscious, intentional, or flagrant, but it is learned, implicit, often built into culture, institutional policies, and everyday life. It's structural woven into the fabric of society by policymakers, culture, and businesses that alters the way we perceive and interact with people different from us. And we don't even notice it or mean to participate in it. In order to make these big changes, I want us all to first take a look in the mirror. The Pediatric Nursing Certification Board tells that 95% of their certificates identify as female and 79% of them identify as white. But there's a strong chance that these majority groups will provide care for a child who comes from a minority group, whether it's based on their gender, race, ethnicity, or sexual orientation. And if those differences aren't well understood, a person's privilege, that same privilege that puts you in a position of power over your patient, that privilege could act as a barrier to a therapeutic relationship, even as you provide expert pediatric care. Even though you're brilliant and compassionate, if you haven't first considered the health equity needs of your patients, privilege could negate your care because patients and their families don't see themselves reflected in your care. Let me show you an example starting with a historical precedent and moving into its 2023 application, where we'll find our next best practice. Housing segregation created by policymakers, banks, and businesses in the pre-civil rights era forced people of color into certain neighborhoods. This was called redlining, where banks would actually draw red lines on maps to distinguish the areas where people of color could not be given home mortgage loans. And although redlining is no longer legal, the effects have been long-lasting and still occur under the auspices of different terms, such as redistricting people of color are more likely to grow up in poor communities where one disparity among many is that they have food deserts that lack nutritious, fresh foods. And so individuals in these communities may have diets that make them more prone to health problems. Other disparities exist related to education, which in turn has an impact on the ability to get a high paying job, which can impact food security. So imagine an African-American school aged child in your practice, who's in the 99th percentile for weight with newly diagnosed hyperlipidemia, whose treatment goals include lifestyle changes related to diet and activity. But the child's caregivers are a single working mom who uses public transportation and a grandmother who's unable to work due to disabilities related to chronic pain and neuropathy caused by type 2 diabetes. And they live in a neighborhood where outdoor play simply isn't safe due to the risk of violence and a lack of caregivers to supervise them at the park. The closest place for food is the 7-Eleven about two blocks away. We know that the care plan for this child should include diet changes and an increase in activity adopted by the entire family. And we know that health equity is about removing obstacles to help your patient have the best health possible. But there are social determinants of health that are also standing in the way, like transportation, neighborhood safety, income. So here's your second best practice something you can also start right now. Become a partner in the equity care plan, not just an authority in healthcare. An authority in healthcare would know that the textbook answer is diet and exercise and leave the family to figure out how to translate that into their real lives. But a partner in the health equity care plan will help mom consider her budget to select grocery items that fit her ability to go to the store, buy the food, carry it home on public transportation while also pleasing the child's palate and interest in actually eating them. You can't just tell a kid to pick vegetables over hot dogs. The equitable care plan will understand the barriers of an unsafe neighborhood and the reality of an overworked mother and grandparent who's living with a disability. The partner knows their resources to make the guidelines realistic. So you start small while the idea of big family lifestyle changes takes hold. Pick frozen foods that have great nutritional content and a longer shelf life. Share the idea of commercial break games during screen time, both to get the child moving, bring some laughter into the house, and build the bond between grandma and the child. All in reasonable two-minute increments every 10 to 15 minutes during commercials. Meanwhile, you should tap into the tertiary care resources and programs that have the same lens of health equity, like Duke Children's Healthy Lifestyles program for teens called Bull City Fit. By taking what you know about pediatric development, nutrition, cardiovascular health as the healthcare expert, and then viewing it through the lens of understanding barriers to health, you can create a care plan with equity in mind. You remove the physical, financial, and emotional barriers that stand in the way of the first step towards this child's better health. Yes, of course the structural issues need to change too, but you don't have to wait for that to be an equitable provider now. Now let's talk about that post-episode. Simply go to thepedsnp.com, the link is in the show notes, and click the button that says Take the Health Equity Survey on the homepage. page. The link will take you to a one-minute survey about the episode you just listened to. Once you submit the anonymous voluntary survey, you'll get a link to the page where you can enter your email to win a $15 Amazon gift card. I won't share your email, and it's not for marketing purposes. It's just to pick a winner for the raffle. Whether you enter the raffle or not, thank you for completing the survey and sharing your feedback. Your participation is so important, so please take a moment to complete it, then share with a friend, your colleagues, and your classmates. I'd like to thank the diversity, equity, and inclusion experts who generously volunteered their time to serve as consultants and editors for the content in this episode, which was generously supported with funding from the North Carolina NAPNAP's Rashida Monroe Health Equity Grant. Follow me on Instagram at the PZNP Podcast. Email me at thepznp@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can complete the survey, see show notes and references at www.thepedsnp.com. Remember, this isn't just a podcast. Health equity starts with you. I'm Becky Carson. Take care.